If you have your copy of God's Word, I'll be reading from the book of Jude, verses 3 and 4. I'll be reading from the, King, the New King James Version. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who were long ago marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our Lord God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you live right? How do you live right in a world that won't? How do you live right when there are Christians and churches who won't? If that question ever goes through your mind, how do you live right when the world and even some Christians won't, the book of Jude is a book you need to pay attention to. So for the next 25 or so minutes, let's look at Jude, and it has 25 verses. And I'll try to unpack as much as I can in the amount of time that we'll have. Write down or keep in mind these three words. The first word is time. Time. The second word is attitude attitude. The third word is authority. Jude is a book that deals with time and attitude and authority. And that needs to be respected by everyone. Listen, because here's what Jude is about in one sentence. There is a time to fight and we must fight right for what is right in the sight of God. How's that for a mouthful? There's a time to fight. And we must fight right. We must fight right for what is right in the sight of God. Now, let me go back. We must fight. There is a time to fight. To contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Jude verse 3. Probably the best known verse in the book of Jude. An overlooked book of the New Testament. There's a time to fight. But there's also an attitude there's a time to fight, and we must fight right. Some people can believe what's right and be completely wrong. You ever been around somebody like that? They're so obnoxious and ungodly that you really wish that they were wrong, even though you know that they're right in what they're saying. 
We don't have the right to be a jack donkey with what's right. Amen? Look again. We must fight for what's right and fight right for what's right in God's sight. There's the authority. There's a time to fight. There is an attitude that must be possessed by God's people in fighting. We must fight right. Even if others don't, we must. It's a real test of character. But we must fight right for what is right in the sight of God, not merely how it used to be, not merely how we would like for it to be, but for what is right in the sight of God on the basis of the inspired will of God. That's what Jude is about. Jude was written by the half-brother of Jesus, it seems. Mark chapter 6 and verse 3. Matthew 13 and verse 55. He had a half-brother by the name of Jude or Judas. And when you look at Jude 1 verse 1, he refers to himself as the brother of James. Well, in many ways, James and little brother Jude are a lot alike. They both can say what they mean and mean what they say. They both can speak vividly and well concerning the issues that they address, the matters that provoke them through the Holy Spirit to write. What made the difference in the lives of James and Jude? After all, John chapter 7 verses 1 through 5 tell us that when Jesus walked the face of the earth, they did not believe. I am sure that among many realms of evidence that they found they couldn't get over right at the top was the resurrection. Right at the top was the resurrection. And indeed, early on in the book of Acts, we see Mary and the rest of the family being present, worshiping God. All right, here's an outline of the book of Jude. Easy to remember, triple A, 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 A. This book gives a triple A treatment of how to fight in a way that we fight right for what's right in the sight of God. The first A, verses 1 through 4, alarm. He sounds the alarm. The second A, verses 5 through 16, the argument. 1 through 4, the alarm. 5 through 16, the argument being made about how to live right and act right in a world gone wrong and in churches that go astray. And then in verses 17 through 25, you have the admonition, the alarm, 1 through 4, the argument, 
5 through 16, the admonition to faithfulness and fighting as we ought as the people of God, 17 through 25. Everybody got that? Well, let's focus on the first four verses because the first four verses tell us a lot. One thing you're going to notice whenever you study the book of Jude, he has a fondness for triplets. He has a fondness for threes, for list of threes. Look at the first two verses. And what Jude is saying at the beginning of this book is treasure your relationship in the Lord. When you treasure your relationship in the Lord, really treasure it, you'll be far less likely to fall from the faith. Treasure your relationship in the Lord. And notice how he describes it in verses 1 and 2. First of all, Christians are called people. We have heard the message of the Lord, the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, and we have responded to it. Called people. Here's a second word. Again, a list of three, so you know there's one to follow. Beloved. It's an important word in the book of Jude. He wants those that he is writing to to understand that he loves them and even more important, so does God. And he wants them to be able to fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6.12 And to war the good warfare. 1 Timothy 1.18 Third term, kept. That is such an important theme in the book of Jude, everybody. If you will hold to God's unchanging hand, God will hold you and nobody can snatch you out of his hand. Interestingly enough, Brother Clay, this book is about apostasy. Jude is all about apostasy. You won't find the word in Jude. None of you in your translation will have it. But the word literally means to fall away or to depart. And while the word is not in the book of Jude, the concept most assuredly is. The word's found elsewhere in the Bible. 1 Timothy 4.1, some shall depart from the faith. It's found in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30, that grievous wolves will come and will not spare the flock. Among your own selves, men will arise. The idea of a departure, the idea of a falling away is spoken of in Scripture. And Jude and the book of Second Peter are New Testament volumes that deal specifically with this falling away and trouble that the church was facing. Notice again, he talks about treasuring our relationship in God and he uses three terms yet again. Notice them. We are people who have received mercy and peace and love. Mercy, peace, and love. And mercy, peace, and love should be multiplied in our lives. 
You know, when people don't behave the way they should, sometimes we get down. We need to focus on our relationship with God and the mercy and peace and love which are ours in Him. I don't want to lose that, do you? I don't want to lose my appreciation for the mercy and peace and love that He extends in Jesus. Now notice verses 3 and 4. Because he gives the purpose for writing. And here's the purpose. Appreciate the necessity of contending for the faith. Don't just treasure your relationship in God, but appreciate, appreciate the necessity of contending for the faith. He says, I wanted to write about the common salvation. I guess he wanted to write a book like Romans where he could talk about the gospel and being made right with God. Maybe he wanted to write a book like Hebrews, where he could talk about how Jesus is the better priest and he made the best sacrifice and he's given us the better covenant. Maybe he wanted to write books like John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the common salvation, the fellowship that we have with God and with one another because of Jesus. I would have loved to write about those things. But it was necessary for me to write that you contend earnestly for the faith. Mark that if you would. Because first of all, the faith is divine in origin. The faith. Secondly, the faith is complete in its design. God has said what he wants to say to us through Jesus and the faith, through Christ and his gospel. There's nothing else that will be forthcoming. He said it all in Jesus and the gospel. All he needs to say about salvation. And then third, the faith is unique in character. Divine in origin, complete in design, and unique in character. There is one faith. Ephesians 4. Now notice... When you look especially at Jude 4, and if you listen to Lynn as he read the Scripture reading, here's what we deal with. We deal with the fact that there are people at that time, just as there are people today, I would suspect, who creep in unnoticed. They are deceptive. Verse 4 speaks of people who are deceptive. They creep in. And you know, as Christians, we want to give others the benefit of the doubt. But what happens with these people who creep in is really what they're all about is this. Distorting the grace of God and denying the lordship of Jesus. See that in verse 4? I didn't make that up. That's right there, isn't it? They distort the grace of God. They turn it into lewdness or lasciviousness. And they deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, if Jesus is Savior, how can anybody be saved who distorts God's grace? 
If Jesus is not just Savior but Lord, how can anybody be right with God and ultimately saved who deny that he's Lord? So the problems being dealt with by Jude somewhere between 65 and 80 A.D. in the first century are not completely different than problems we face in 2021. Here's what happens. There were some people that came along, it seems, and maybe they received the faith. They received the faith, but as time went on, they rejected it. And it's not uncommon when you reject the faith to begin to ridicule the faith. They'd received it, then they rejected it, and then they came to, to ridicule the faith as they were distorting God's grace and denying Christ's lordship. And then what happens is one attempts to rewrite the faith. Sometimes we hear that nowadays, just as Jude was experiencing it in the first century. Now notice 5 through 16. And I think I can cover these pretty quickly with you. Remember how fond he is of threes? Look at verses 5 through 7, and what 5 through 7 really say is sin is serious. Sin is terribly serious. And he gives three examples from the Old Testament. Jude, you see, is steeped in the Old Testament. He really knows the Old Testament. No question about it. And when you look at Jude, verse 5, you'll see in this section, he deals first of all with Israel and the problem of unbelief. You might jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, as well as Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. They were not able to enter the land of promise because of unbelief. Hebrews 3 and verse 19. Well, they are mentioned showing the seriousness of sin. Sin involves a lack of trust and unbelief in God and His will. Look, if you will, at the second example, an interesting one, angels. Angels are interesting, and you compare this passage in Jude 6 to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. 2 Peter, 2 Peter and Jude have a lot in common as far as subject matter is concerned. When you look at this, there were, there were angels, rather, that rebelled. They rebelled. Sin is serious, not only because it shows unbelief and distrust, but because it is rebellion against God. Now, I know who Israel was, God's chosen people, and he got them out of bondage and had promised them uh, uh, the, the promised land. But they still had to trust in the Lord and, and do his will. The angels are powerful beings, certainly more powerful than we are, huh? And yet when they 
rebelled, when some of them rebelled against God, God took action against them. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about that. But it tells me enough to know that sin is serious because sin often involves a distrust of God and rebellion against Him and His will. We tend to take sin too lightly. Third example. Third example from the same section, 5 through 7. Sodom and Gomorrah. Sin is serious because it often involves sexual sin. It often involves immorality. And it's certainly fooling around with someone when you ought to be true to God. Sin is serious because it is spiritual fornication. Those are pretty graphic terms, aren't they? Now when you look at verses 8 through 10, there's an emphasis on these and how God will deal with them. Something about their character is even more mentioned, but you get to that in verses 8 through 10, and you'll see that God will deal with those who, like the three examples, are unbelieving, those who are rebellious, and those who are guilty of spiritual prostitution. Now look at verse 11. Verse 11 begins with the word woe, woe. And then three more who went the wrong direction, who didn't live right in the world, are mentioned. First of all, Cain. Cain. Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. What was Cain's problem? His problem was lovelessness. He hated his brother. Jot in your Bible, 1 John 3, 12 through 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Talk about fighting right in an attitude that's right. Appreciating and respecting the authority of God, what is right in the sight of God, it can be challenging sometimes. Cain, the example of lovelessness and hatred, next example in this list. Balaam. Numbers 22 through 26 tell us about Balaam. Balaam, if you've got the problem of hatred and lovelessness with Cain, you've got the problem of greed. The devil believes every person has their price. And Balaam is the poster child for that view. He was God's prophet and yet he could be bribed. What a tragedy. Then you have the example from Numbers 16 of Korah. Korah. Numbers 16. And what happens here is this. There is an emphasis upon insolence and stubbornness. You see, Korah and his cronies 
Korah and his friends thought that it was past time for Moses to step aside. We've gotten this far and some mistakes have been made along the way and pretty much everybody would grant that. Why don't we just have different leaders? The problem is that of stubbornness, of ego, of rebellion against God's leaders. Look at verses 13 and 14. Here's one of those catalogs that's so graphic and that's so vivid. Got to share it with you before we bring things to a close. Notice how false teachers are described. Five descriptions. He's already said, woe to those who go this direction. But notice now in verses 13 and 14. Let me begin at 12, rather. They are hidden reefs. What do hidden reefs do? They leave you shipwrecked, don't they? Hidden reefs leave you shipwrecked. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 19 speaks of those who make shipwreck of the faith. Secondly, notice the term, waterless clouds. We know quite a bit about them in West Texas, don't we? Waterless clouds. No blessing. They leave us with no blessing. Third, notice the statement. Fruitless trees. What do fruitless trees do? They leave us empty. They leave us empty. Leave a shipwrecked. Leave us dry. Leave us empty. And then it speaks of the waves. And it speaks of the waves in this passage as being wild waves. What do the waves end up doing? False teachers are a lot like this. Sin is a serious matter. And false teaching is dangerous because false teaching will leave your faith shipwrecked. False teaching will leave you dry and empty and barren. False teaching will leave you tossed to and fro. Ephesians 4 and verse 14. And then notice wandering stars. I love the expression. False teaching will leave Christians and congregations directionless. Lacking proper navigation for getting home. Well, my time is up. Those rotten little kids during Pew Packers, we gotta love them, don't we? But thank the Lord, maybe I'll have another opportunity to finish Jude, and we can finish it next Sunday evening, Lord willing. But I hope you've got your bucket full and that this book has piqued your curiosity. Look for words in Jude like the words, Beloved, Ungodly, and Eternal or Everlasting. Also, 
Look for the commands in the book of Jude. We've seen one already, but they're about to pile on as we get to verses 17 through 25. The first commands there in verse 3 to contend for the faith. There will be six more that you'll see between 17 and 25. I know that you want to live right in a world that doesn't live right. I believe that people here want to live right even when brothers and sisters and congregations don't. But if we are going to live right, we must fight. And we must fight in a way where our attitude shows that we want to fight right. And we want to fight for what is right in the sight of God. Westside needs to be better known as a group of people who stick with the word. Westside needs to be even better known as being a group of people who want to fight for what's right in a way that's right. And may we ever be motivated because we want to do what's right in God's sight. And because we want to see souls get home safely to God. Let the church say amen. Thank you. We're about to sing our song of encouragement. One needs to embrace the truth, the gospel. And one does that. One responds to what Jesus has done in making salvation possible in faith, repentance, and baptism. One responds by being added to the church of our dear Lord. One responds by wanting to live right. And by God's help and grace, we can. And I'm glad to tell you that. Because there's no more God-centered book in all the New Testament than Jude. Sometimes we get discouraged when we think of the world and where it's going. Sometimes we get discouraged when we think about the church. Everything in the book of Jude tells us the best is yet to be for God's people. Aren't you glad? The gospel really is good news. If you need to come to Jesus, please do so tonight. And if you are a Christian and you've allowed yourself to get discouraged by what you hear and what you see in the world and the church, I encourage you to quit looking so much at the world and the church and start looking a little more at the Lord and His Word. It'll help. You'll have a greater sense of joy and hope. Let's stand and sing.